Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. HBO was very powerful, and I've talked about this on the site, and I think even in podcasts before, but I can't think of a better example of how HBO was able to change my opinion about something than with Jewel of the Nile. If you listened to the podcast that I did about Romancing the Stone, you'll know I was a huge Romancing the Stone fan. You couldn't shut me up about it. So when Jewel of the Nile came out, I was ready to see this film. Talked my family into going opening weekend. The theater darkened. Time went by. I walked out very disappointed. The reason I was disappointed I'll talk a little bit about later. That doesn't mean I don't like Jewel of the Nile. It came on to HBO at some point sometime later. I saw it was going to be on and thought, oh, I'll give it another chance. I watched it. Felt the same way. It was on again that night. I watched it. Oh, I liked it a little bit more. I think it was on about 30 more times that month, and I watched it probably 16 of those times. By the end of it, I was speaking along with the dialogue. I was also reminded of how much I loved the music in the film, and I couldn't even remember why I didn't enjoy the film. I guess when your entertainment options are limited, you can go two directions. You can get really annoyed by having to see the exact same thing over and over again, or you can just embrace it, which is what I did. This is something that is not common nowadays because we have a very on-demand society, which I love. Oddly enough, when I have an on-demand decision to make, I will pick Jewel of the Nile to watch. I know it's not as good as Romancing the Stone, but I find it very comforting. So on today's show, we're going to talk about the sequel to Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk a little bit about its reception the story, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. is the sequel to Romancing the Stone, came out in 1985, a year after the original film, stars Kathleen Turner, Michael Douglas, and Danny DeVito in their roles that they popularized in the first film. Unlike the first film, which was directed by Robert Zemeckis, this one was directed by Louis Teague. You see, Zemeckis was a little busy at the time, making a little movie called Back to the Future. You would figure when you have a film that was so popular that it would be a no-brainer to bring people back, but Kathleen Turner was actually quite resistant to making a sequel. This would be the only sequel she would make in her career. The original film 
was written by Diane Thomas, and so the characters in this film are based on characters she created, although she did not write the screenplay. She would die before this film would come out, and the film would be dedicated to her memory along with two other members of the film. We'll talk a little bit about them soon. First, I want to talk about the people who did write this script. It was a screenwriting duo, Mark Rosenthal and Lawrence Connor. Both of them are American screenwriters, been together a bit, and they've written some interesting screenplays. The Legend of Billie Jean, for one, then Jewel of the Nile, Superman IV, The Quest for Peace, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, Mighty Joe Young, and The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Lawrence Connor has also done some work on some pretty impressive television shows, starting with shows like Family and Little House on the Prairie, but more recently working on Boardwalk Empire and The Sopranos. The film was directed by Louis Teague. Teague is an American film director born in 1938. In addition to Jewel of the Nile, he's probably best known for his work on Cat's Eye, Cujo, and Navy Seals. On Jewel of the Nile, he would have a very interesting cinematographer, Jan de Bont. If that name sounds familiar, DeBont is probably best known for his work on Speed in 1994 and Twister in 1996. He also did a remake of the film The Haunting, which is critically panned. I personally don't dislike the film. I don't think it's as good as the original, but I think people really come down on it a little too hard. This film was dedicated to the memory of other people besides Diane Thomas before production started. A plane carrying the production designer Richard Docking and the production manager Brian Coates crashed in the countryside of Morocco and everyone on board was killed. So the film is dedicated to three people, Coates, Docking, and Diane Thomas. So I am in the theater as a kid and I am ready to watch the greatest romantic couple of my youth on the screen. They had tremendous chemistry. They had come together, living a romance novel. What was going to happen to them this time? When we see Joan Wilder and Jack Colton again, Joan Wilder played by Kathleen Turner and Colton played by Michael Douglas, they are in a rut. The romance, I guess, has fizzled out, and Joan is left wondering, after the romance is over, what happens the next day? Now, I do not have a problem with this. I think that's actually a really good direction to take the film. But Joan sort of seemed to be seeking this very romantic, adventurous life. And yes, that can get tiring, but they'd only been gone for six months. I mean, sure, in six months they'd done a ton of stuff, but she's ready at the very beginning to put this all aside and go home. They didn't even get around the world once. And that was what they planned on doing at the end of Romancing the Stone, was traveling around the world. They didn't even make it to Greece yet, I don't think. And she's ready to go home. For me, that was one of the bigger flaws, and maybe there was things written that didn't make it in, or this was some poorly realized thing that they never fleshed out. They kind of hint at Jack's wild side and showing up with the basketball team and all these things, and that he might not be ready for marriage, which she seems suddenly ready for. But that's hinted at, and it never fully gets realized, which is probably one of the bigger problems with the film. But if you overlook that, there's a lot of fun stuff going on, and this is just big, over-the-top popcorn fun. So, they're on their boat. She's tired. She goes to a book signing where Gloria, her publisher, played by Holland Taylor, is. And she meets Omar, played by Spiros Focus, who is a ruler of a kingdom somewhere along the Nile River. And he is going to unite the tribes and wants Joan to write his story. 
she sees an escape from the fantasy into a serious world and decides to take him up on this. Of course, it turns out that Omar is really a bad guy. He is holding this very important jewel, who turns out to be a person, hostage, and it's up to Jack, Joan, a fearless tribe of Sufis, and of course, Ralph, played by Danny DeVito, to rescue the jewel and save the day. Along the way, Jack discovers that he's still madly in love with Joan. Joan, I guess, sort of sees that Jack is willing to commit, and by the end, everybody lives happily ever after. There's a great scene in this film, probably the best scene, where they steal an F-16 fighter jet. And if you watch the film again, especially if you watch it in a higher definition, you can see a lot of the details. And this was a full-scale mock-up of a jet that you could use. And it had a engine that you could drive around and you can actually see the drive shafts on the belly of the plane going down to the wheels on the landing gear. So they could have probably just driven this around, which would have been a lot of fun. It's my favorite scene. There's Space Invader references. It's all very dated and a lot of fun to watch now. A little bit about the cast. Michael Douglas played Jack T. Colton. Douglas was born in 1944, award-winning actor, producer. Probably best known for his work in Romancing the Stone and as Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. Still works a lot today. Kathleen Turner played Joan Wilder. Born in 1954, Turner has a huge body of work and continues to act today. Her breakthrough performance was probably in 1981's Body Heat, but she would move into Romancing the Stone and later Pritzi's Honor, The Accidental Tourist, and Serial Mom, among others. As I mentioned earlier, Turner didn't want to make a sequel to Romancing the Stone and even tried to back out during production of the film, but Fox, who was putting out the film, filed a $25 million lawsuit against her and she turned around and decided to make the film. I think she also insisted on some rewrites, and I would love to see what those rewrites were and what improvements they made. I wonder if she was the one who was sneaking in some of the stuff about why this relationship had gone south. Danny DeVito played Ralph. Daniel Michael DeVito was born in 1944 in Neptune, New Jersey. DeVito's breakthrough role was as Louis De Palma on the television series Taxi, a role for which he would win an Emmy and a Golden Globe. He would go on to make some great movies, including Twins, Terms of Endearment, Get Shorty, L.A. Confidential, and the list goes on and on and on. Spiros, or Spiros Focus, I don't know if I'm saying that right, he played Omar. He was born in 1937. He's a Greek actor who's been in over 200 films, although to American audiences, he's probably best known for his work in Rambo 3, Shaft in Africa, and Jewel of the Nile. I actually think he's a great presence, and the Omar character has amused me a great deal as time has gone on, because nothing goes right for this guy. He seems all cool at first, like he's this big evil mastermind, and he's going to do all this stuff, but then... As he makes mistake after mistake after mistake, he just starts to seem pitiful. It makes me wonder how exactly he rose to power. Maybe having Joan Wilder and Jack T. Colton is just so disruptive that he lost his mojo. I don't know, but it's interesting. Avner Eisenberg played the Jewel, El Jahara. Avner Eisenberg, or as he's better known, Avner the Eccentric, is a American vaudeville performer, mime, juggler, magician, probably best known in film for his work in Jewel of the Nile. Actually, if you look at critics at the time when they reviewed the film, he's probably the most well-received part of Jewel of the Nile, and he does steal scenes. If you go online, you can see a lot of what Mr. Eisenberg does. Old-style vaudeville comedy. Very funny guy. 
Holland Taylor was born in 1943, probably best known to modern audiences as Evelyn Harper on Two and a Half Men. We'll have a little bit more about Holland Taylor in a couple of minutes from Vic Sage. The Sufi tribesmen, and there were many, but the core of them were played by the Flying Karamazov Brothers, who are a juggling and comedy troupe who've been performing since 1973. Paul David Magid played Tarak. Howard J. Patterson played Barak. Randall Edward Nelson played Karak. Samuel Ross Williams played Arak. And Timothy Daniel First played Sarak. I'm not sure how they came up with their naming convention, but I'm starting to see a pattern. If the word Karamazov sounds familiar and you've never heard of these particular flying brothers, it comes from a Dostoevsky novel, The Brothers Karamazov. Finally, I just like this character, so I want to mention him. Daniel Peacock plays this rock promoter, and that's another great thing about Omar. He's trying to show that he has magical powers, so he hires a rock promoter to, like, make him look all rock starish. And the guy does a pretty good job. There's fire and lights everywhere, and I think Daniel Peacock does a pretty good job. He's appeared in some things that an American audience might know. He was in The Young Ones, Doctor Who, Quadrophenia, and Gandhi, among many other things. Now, with a little bit more about one of these characters, is Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person? Hi, friends. Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person? And for this installment, we are going to be taking a look at Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile co-star, Holland Taylor. Holland Virginia Taylor was born on January 14, 1943, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Majoring in drama at Bennington College, Holland graduated in 1964 and moved to New York City in the hopes of starring on Broadway. For almost 30 years, she focused mainly on the theater and gained rave reviews before her acting coach, none other than Stella Adler, who, by the way, taught Marlon Brando, Warren Beatty, Robert De Niro, and Harvey Keitel, to name a few, told the actress she should focus on more than just the theater. That is how Holland landed the part of Tom Hanks' boss, Ruth Dunbar, in the hit TV series Bosom Buddies, a character she played for 37 episodes. In 1983, she was cast as Joan Wilder's friend and publicist, Gloria, in Romancing the Stone, a role she would revisit two years later in Jewel of the Nile. Holland has garnered 101 acting credits in film and television, appearing in such shows as Kojak, Kate and Alley, Perfect Strangers, She's Having a Baby, where she played Kevin Bacon's mother, Murder, She Wrote, Wise Guy, Going Places, Saved by the Bell, The College Years, where she played Dean Susan McMahon, one Fine Day, George of the Jungle, The Truman Show, 23 episodes of The Naked Truth, Allie McBeal, Legally Blonde, The Practice, The L Word, and 98 episodes of Two and a Half Men. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person, signing off until next time. Thanks, Vic. The film was released on December 11, 1985. It had a $25 million budget and would bring in $96.7 million, meaning it grossed more than its predecessor. But critically, it was panned, and that probably is what killed potential to have a third or even a fourth film, although the idea was kicked around. One thing most critics agree, besides 
Eisenberg being pretty good in his role, is that Douglas and Turner still have chemistry. And watching the film, you'll see, they still do have that chemistry, and they should have made more films, maybe not as these characters, but definitely a couple of more romantic comedies set in exotic locales would have been fun. The film premiered at number one and would bring in $10 million its opening week. It was up against films like Rocky IV, Spies Like Us, and Clue, which also opened that week. More interestingly, it would be up against Back to the Future, which was still in the top 10 in its 24th week, and that would be the film that Zemeckis would do rather than a sequel to Romancing the Stone. It would also be up against King Solomon's Mines, which had been out for four weeks at this point and had made $13 million by this point. And that was a film that Kathleen Turner turned down because she didn't want to go back to the jungle but then would be forced to at least go to the desert in Jewel of the Nile. The soundtrack of Jewel of the Nile was by Bernard Alfred Jack Nietzsche. He was born in 1937, passed away in 2010. He was a producer, songwriter, film score composer. He first came to prominence working with artists like Neil Young and the Rolling Stones before moving on to work on film scores. He would win an Oscar in 1983 for co-writing Up Where We Belong from An Officer and a Gentleman. He also did work on films like Stand By Me, The Exorcist, and Starman, plus a whole bunch more. Now, you might enjoy the soundtrack to The Jewel of the Nile, but I bet you the song you remember from Jewel of the Nile is When the Going Gets Tough, The Tough Get Going, performed by Billy Ocean, which plays during the end credits of the film. There was also a music video that got heavy play on MTV that had Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito in it singing backup and doing all sorts of shenanigans. Now Douglas, DeVito, and Turner would sing backup on that song, and because they weren't in the union, the video was banned from being played in the United Kingdom. And even though that was the case, the song would still go on to be number one in the UK. It was just that powerful. In addition to that amazing song, the soundtrack also featured the rap group Houdini and their single The Freaks Come Out at Night, and the song Party, No Sheep is Safe Tonight by the Williston Dodgers. Not as classic as the Billy Ocean tune, but fun songs in their own right. The film is widely available on home video and streaming services. It also has a unique distinction. It was the final film to be released on the RCA Select Division CED video format. In a way, it put the nail in the coffin of that particular format. As I mentioned in the Romancing the Stone podcast, there is a novelization of both of those stories. They are credited to Joan Wilder, but are actually written by Catherine Lanigan. If you decide to pick them up, you'll see that there is a little bit more detail about the characters, although not a tremendous amount to explain some of the issues that I have with Jewel of the Nile. Still interesting to look through if you need to relive the movies more slowly and on paper. Jewel of the Nile is perhaps a sequel that shouldn't have happened. Many people will label it forgettable. There are a lot of movies like that, but some get plucked from obscurity for one reason or another. For me, Jewel of the Nile could have been a forgotten, but a very powerful influence, a cable channel, when there weren't many cable channels, decided to play it again and again. And I'm happy about that. I like Jewel of the Nile now. I find it very comforting. I find good in it, and I think it's entertaining. You will roll your eyes at times. But if you watch it, and you really should, you will get to see what passed for a blockbuster, fun action-adventure comedy in the 1980s.
Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs for your podcast, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person. If you have feedback for Vic, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. And don't forget, Vic Sage has his own podcast on The Retroist, Saturday Frights. You can find it in the right-hand column of The Retroist, or you can go to iTunes and search Saturday Frights and get yourself a healthy dose of retro horror. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Jones Savage Secret Story. Ah. This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.